Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello and welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and that blow annoying bloke who talks all the time. From uh, the freezing city uh, of Australia. Oh, well, <laughs> winter, ha- winter has not left some parts of Australia, unfortunately, and, and Victoria, Melbourne, Australia is where we are and, and it hasn't left. Just well, we when you think off. summer is, uh, is upon <laughs> us, <laughs> it betrays us again. Uh, well, it hasn't turned up, it's, you know. Bit like the sort of the paycheck you've been hanging out for. It, it just hasn't turned up. The Tats Lotto numbers, they are summer. It's not here yet. We need it desperately. Tell you what, it's had a, an enormous effect on our food supplies. Hasn't it? All the wet. As you found in the other uh, supermarket. Yeah, all, I think we've talked about the potato shortage. Well, we, and the, the frozen food and the and the fresh food when yes. you go to uh, to find – trying to find a banana that you can actually eat in the next 24 hours. It looks a bit like the supermarket has been looted again, yeah, doesn't again, it? Yeah, it looks like we're back in COVID times ah. and there's nothing getting through. But uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, we'll have a normal uh, next couple of weeks yes. and months and everything will be all right. We've got a terrific show for you. We've got a great guest. I'm delighted that we have Paula Duncan on the show this week. She is Australian acting royalty. She's been in so many things. And she's got such a wonderful uh, story to tell. Another actor who uh, who met her husband on the set of the show that she was on. They're yeah. no longer together, but they're still very good mates. Um, but Paula Duncan will talk to us about oh, the cop shop days, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Constable Danny Francis. Yeah, Detective Constable Danny Francis. Yes. And uh, all the the fun thing that that happened in the upstairs downstairs sort of arrangement of cop shop. You what had a the cast. other you had the detectives upstairs. Yeah. You had your Peter Adams, your George Mallaby, um, your John Orchick um, upstairs. Linda Stone, and then downstairs you had uh, Constable Roy Baker, and you had um, you know grubby Sergeant old Sergeant O'Reilly. O'Reilly, Terry Norris, and Gil Tucker, which was a bit of a comedy duo. Almost. You're on slapstick, yeah, virtually. <laughs> oh, very funny. Very funny. It was a good show. It was a terrific mix. Paula's going to talk about those days. Also, the spray and wipe commercials, which <laughs> got a fabulous reception. And once you get them in your head, Kevin, as you're about to say it, now, you playing, can't get it out. It's now playing every time you say the word spray and wipe. <laughs> the, the, the jingle starts. Spray and wipe works so fast because oh, no. it cuts through. And uh, a, something she'll be as well yeah. known for as uh, Danny Francis, uh, yeah, uh, and is. So let's get to Paula now, and then we'll get to our food poll at the mm. end. And this is this is the heavyweights have come yeah. out. Yeah, the sausage it's, versus the hot dog. Right, oh, the heavyweights. The gloves are off. We'll get to that a little later on. It's Fennick versus Azuma yeah. Nelson in the uh, in the food stakes. But before all that, Paula Duncan. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Thank you so much for doing this under adverse conditions because you've been busy and you've got a bit of a throat problem as well. Oh, look, the usual. I think it's going around everywhere from what I understand from my GP. I'm not sick. I don't have COVID. Hmm. In fact, I was one of the ones that escaped COVID, which was lucky. Um, So I don't have any of that, but I am an asthmatic. And the wind here in Sydney, New South Wales is absolutely torrid. And Hmm. um, with all the pollen going around, I don't think it just helps with the with the asthma reaction and the cough and so on. But anyway, nothing that nobody else hasn't had to deal with this season. Mm-hmm. You're a true professional, Paula. On with the show. Um, and you have such a, a long list of, uh, you know, roles and, and credits and achievements to your name. Have you have you ever done a food podcast before? No, never. <laughs> what do you like in the kitchen? Is that a happy place for you? It's my one of my happiest. 
other than walking with my dog or hosting um, people, um, I love to cook. I cook constantly. Um, I'm one of those people that people come here to, you know, for lunch and they stay overnight and then they don't want to go home. Um, it tends to be that I'm constantly cooking and I absolutely love it. So you've got the per- right person at the right time. It sounds from how you describe that, Paula, that you are something of a nurturer, that you like to feed people. I do. I love to feed people. And in fact, when people do stay overnight, um, it starts in the morning. Now, what do you feel like for dinner tonight? What, what do you feel like? Would you like me to? And I'm also quite amenable, not because I'm a wonderful person, but because <laughs> I'm, I'm, and it, it really isn't, I, I just love to please. So, um, you know, I will always start with what would you like for dinner? And I've got people that are vegan friends, very strict. I've got those that are, um, that are celiac and, and, and those that just choose not to have milk products or whatever it is. And I will work around it. So it's never hassle to me. I'm not mad about doing the shopping for the ingredients, <laughs> I have to tell you. But once I've got the ingredients going, I'm happy as a pig in mud and the music's on and off I go. <laughs> but that is a, an interesting point you bring up, Paula, that these days it's a bit of a minefield in terms of uh, what people can and can't and do or don't eat, celiac, vegan. There's so many uh, different uh, things you have to keep in mind. But from what you've told us, um, that you you just take it all in your stride. Yes, well, I, I do. And um but look, look, I, I just think it, it, things have changed, haven't they? And, um, you know, there, there's so many different diets and so many different requirements. But look, I've noticed people that don't take certain things seriously. Like I have an elderly friend who I absolutely adore who came to stay here and I warned my friend that she was celiac. And um, my friend just thought, oh, she, her daughter chooses to be celiac or gluten-free when she does, but when sometimes she doesn't, sometimes she does. But those that are seriously celiac, if they do have celiac in their system, they can be very, very sick. Mm-hmm. And this elderly woman was very, very sick because she ate the wrong food. So it is really important people underestimate it. And I also think that if people are being vegan for moralistic reasons, because they don't believe in eating meat and they don't believe in any cruelty to animals whatsoever, then we must have respect for people's morality. Mm. And and just like we respect, I mean, I respect the creatures as well, like there's no tomorrow. So um, I, I love animals very, very much. But I'm also was born and, you know, brought up with a country background. I mean, I actually was brought up in a pub, really. I was born in Cooma, New South Wales. Um, and but my relatives are all really country people, so I was also brought up in the country. And then in those days, the animals were treated very differently. They had a very natural life rather than things that are happening now. So there's a lot of that, which is another issue altogether that I'm concerned about. So I go for organic and for carefully. When I do eat meat, I like to know it comes straight from the property. I don't want to eat it manufactured and so on. So I'm quite strange about that. But I do love my animals very, very much. But, um, yeah, so so I I think think it's a lovely thing to do to feed and to feed people. And and let's face it, it's the table that brings everyone together Um, when things get tough. You know, I mean, I remember my parents because we were brought up in a pub and had a very busy life. 
but it was a requisite that we sat at the dining room table at night and ate dinner together. That had to happen, and that was the lines of communication. Doesn't happen as much these days. These days we bring iPads to the table yeah, and exactly. phones to the table. But that really needs to be eliminated because if you're there, you're not there anyway. The lights are on and no one's home. Yeah. You know, you can be talking to a brick wall, seriously. So I think it does help if, if you know, um, in a parental issue or a senior level, that if you can convince the younger people, because we have so much to learn from the younger generation. Mm. Um, I've got so many young people that come and stay here with me, and I don't have a big house. I have a small town house, but I have young people that come here and stay with me, and they impart so much information for me. They do take over my iPad and my phone and clear things out and tell me what to do and technically what I'm not doing. But they are also very uh, aware of the environment and a whole lot of other stuff that I have not been privy to exploring. And they've just grown up with it. And I, and I find that not only do we have experience on our side and perhaps what not to do, I don't know about what to do, mm. but I do know what not to do. <laughs> and um, I do think that these young people can also give us some really good tips in growing old with youth in our hearts mm. and having open-mindedness, um, which I think we need to do as we get older. Yep. Do you have a signature dish, Paula, that uh, you, you, is your go-to dish, your, your absolute winner? Uh, look, I think at the moment it's got to be my pavlova for oh. some reason or other. I don't quite know why everyone, because we haven't had pavlova since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but I took it to a dinner party not very long ago and I used to make fabulous desserts when I was young, but everyone went off desserts because of sugar and so I stopped cooking them. But I do have a pavlova that rises like you would not believe. It's, it's, it's up there with um, the Woman's Weekly one, so it, it, it really <laughs> does rise and um, that's pretty popular. I've got a, another dish which I do which is almost like a Chinese noodle dish which I serve in the winter with with um with chicken and vegetables and noodles and I use it with thoroughness and I have the Asian complexity in it and I serve it as a main with crunchy um with really crunchy sort of seeded bread and um and that's usually accommodation being gluten free and not but both those dishes are gluten free so it saves that problem that's very successful I used to be and am very well renowned for my Christmas ham. Everyone wants me to bring it every year and do it, but I've been less inclined to do it. I got sick of it in the end because it takes forever to make, but um, I do. But there's there's not a lot of things. I, I like to experiment a lot with vegetables and things like that. So, yeah, look, I'm, look I'll, I'll think about nine different ways to do a potato. You know, it won't be the same when you have it every night. You know, it will be something different. And I'm, all, I'm always into greens. So mm. um, I always serve a side of greens no matter what I'm cooking, really. Paula, I'd like to go back, and I know a lot of people ask you this. I hope you don't get uh, tired of it, but you've had such a wonderful, um, illustrious television career here in Australia going back so many years. It's hard to believe that Cop Shop was 45 years ago that it premiered. I but know. You regard that role, Danny Francis, and, and the you were there for the entire run of Cop Shop. That, you said that was I one was, of the most... I was. Um, only, there was only two episodes I wasn't in. Oh, you said it's one of the most wonderful experiences of your life. I'm sure our listeners would love to, to hear some of the memories of those times and the highlights. Well... Cop Shop, the series in itself was unique. 
because it had the soap opera side to it, which were all the love affairs and all the rest of it on and off the screen, I might mind. But um, <laughs> but it also had the cop element as well. So we also, apart from that, incorporated comedy, which has never been done before and I don't think it's ever been done after, mm. where you had those wonderful characters downstairs played <laughs> by Gil Tucker and Terry Norris, yeah. um, Baker and Senior Sergeant O'Reilly, and they were carrying on like lunatics downstairs <laughs> where we'd have plates of rats or spiders or God knows what, but they were real. They'd bring the bloody things in <laughs> and let them go. Now, Linda Stoner, when she came in too, we both got pregnant throughout the series <gasps> and um, literally pregnant. Mm. And so we would wet our pants because <laughs> we couldn't control ourselves down there in the charge counters area down there. Now, um, if you look at the cop side, there was a wonderful cops involved, you know, played by Peter Adams, JJ, John Orchick played Giorgio, who was the very first ethnic cop to ever hit the screen. Mm. And and he was born in Perth and he was Mr. Perth before then. And he became Mr. Orchick, my husband, on and off the screen. Yeah. And um and then you had, you know, the characters like Linda Stoner and you had the wonderful George Mullaby who started the series, who was probably one of the best cops ever to hit the screen in his performances and Terry Donovan and Tony Bonner and the likes of. And um, and so we would hit the hard stuff. We would do all the scenes. We would be up at 5 o'clock in the morning and finished at midnight. Um, we did two full hours of television a week, which is never heard of, and we would shoot, we would shoot one set of two and do the following season of the next two in the same week. So we had to have a whole lot of coordination going on in our head. And then, of course, from my perspective, I fell madly in love, which I said with John Orchick, mm. and um, I married him, and I inherited a stepson, literally, for myself, which is a beautiful story. His mum was very, very sick. She wasn't very favourable to our relationship because she was very sick, and she felt that i come between her and John, which I had it really, I think it had run its run but I still hurt her which was terrible so I wrote a book called The Mother of My Son about that mm. which was released in the 80s around 89 and then I married John and I got pregnant as Danny Francis on the set and then I really got pregnant mm. and gave birth to a baby girl after I married John and it was a miracle child because they told me I couldn't have children so Jess is now 38 Oh, wow. And she's in America and L.A. and runs her own academy called AFTER, which is a very successful academy over in the United States where young people get the opportunity to work online with her and they do producing, directing, um, writing courses. They also do analysis. They also work on acting and, um, and also offer people the opportunity to understand what it's like to get visas and to travel into the United States and they guide them and look after them. And it's called AFTA, um, A-F-T-A. She runs that. And my beautiful stepson is basically works in cyber investigation and is a very intelligent young man. Um, and he's 48 now. So I've got two grown up kids now. And um, Jess is married to a beautiful bloke called Robbie Ride, who's also in the arts. So out of Cop Shop came a beautiful life. Lifelong friendships. My best friend Joanna Lockwood is in that series. 
she played Valerie. Mm. She's, you know, my best friend, um, beautiful, beautiful girl. And I made wonderful friendships in that show. But ironically, we're all really, really close friends. And to this day, we still are. And we're each other's godmothers and godfathers and everything. But out of that series also came real new life. Mm. Which is a, a new life with me when I gave birth to a baby girl. But Paula, those those were pretty heady days. I mean, you and and John, especially when you are uh, you married in real life, you were you were TV's it couple. I mean, I still remember we the, the TV Week uh, cover, and uh, I still remember the description of your uh, wedding dress. I was saying to Kevin, I believe you had, I think you had an olive cape, and your um, sister Carmen that's had a claret. And I thought, oh, that was every little girl's dream um, wedding. How did you cope with that level of uh, attention in those days? Well, we we were kind of used to it. I mean, they didn't give us any chance to relax. As I said, our hours were extraordinary. But Mm. we were under a woman called Arlene O'Shea, who was a great publicist at the time. And she had us doing publicity every single weekend. Um, You know, we would be at all the festivals. We would be on all the floats, the moon, the floats, the whatever. We'd be the gay, the beginning of the gay Mardi Gras, where even when that first started here in Sydney, we came in for that. We would be everywhere. So it came part and parcel, but there was no egos in Coxhall. It was unusual. I've done a lot of series. I've done 16. But this series had no egos. So we were as nice to everybody as they were to us. And and I think it's just, I don't know why, whether it because it was a Hector Crawford production, because Crawfords were a family company, and, and they kept our feet on the ground. I remember we had the Ash Wednesday bushfires, which was shocking, and Greg Ross, who played Benjamin in it, um, lost everything in the bushfires. And we all gave up our salary for four weeks so that we could help save his family. Um, after the disaster. Now that's what I'm talking about. It's, 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 it's a rare sort of unique bond and we've always had it and I think it will continue to be. But in terms of the publicity, it never got to our heads. Never, never, never. It still doesn't. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still doing covered publicity stories quite a lot, as you know. But the thing is that, um, none of us would ever not stop to say hello to someone. You never hear it. Yeah. You do a lot of work in, uh, in in raising money, particularly in the in the cancer research area, Paula, which is obviously a, a great passion of yours now. Yes. I've worked for many organisations in terms of fighting for people that couldn't stand up for themselves. And I guess probably I'm most renowned for my work with people with disabilities, where I started back in 89, and um, I was part of the movement of building an inclusive society for people with disabilities or forms of disabilities. And I got involved with Paralympics, but most of all the Special Olympics, and promoted the arts within them. And then I sort of worked also with Wesley Mission for about 10 and a half years with homeless people and the likes of, and still continued my work with disabilities. And then I went to the Royal Hospital for Women, where I was their ambassador for 10 and a half years. And in that time, rather than just raising money or trying to raise money, I did a marketing course and a PR course. So, you know, I could be taken seriously because really I was only an actor running around telling everybody how important it is that people support people. But more recently, four years ago, I lost my beautiful sister, Carmen, who was a trailblazer in the United States. 
a very beautiful, beautiful woman, oh, yeah. much more classy than I am. I'm very <laughs> earthy. She died a very tragic death of gynecological cancer, and there are eight different gynecological cancers, eight different, and people don't know that, and she got one of those. And what happened is she died very tragically and very quickly, having overcome breast cancer and thyroid cancer and whatever. And I'm actually doing a fundraiser um, where I'm really needing some help with, um, even if people can't come, but I'm doing a, a luncheon in her name, which I try to do every year on Thanksgiving Day because Carmen spent most of her career in the United States doing that series, Another World. Um, and so I'm having a luncheon on the 26th of November here in Sydney and um, in Five Dock at Carmen's on the Park. People won't forget that because mm. it's in her name, Carmen. Yeah. And it's a luncheon, and I'm trying to get as much support as I can for that. So if there's anyone out there listening to this podcast that may be in Sydney or likely to be in Sydney on the 26th of November on Saturday, we would welcome you to come. And I'm sure if you contact these guys, 0410-664-564, 0410-664-564. And that's Fran. If you want to call Fran and say we'd like to be supportive in some way, we would be very, very grateful. Oh, good on you. I mean, Paula, the way you, you, you speak about Carmen, there's that a, a fondness in your tone. I mean, I know not all siblings get along, but it, it sounds like uh, you and Carmen had a very close relationship. We were very, very different, to be really honest with you. We were very, very different. We didn't always see eye to eye. As I said, I was a bit rough around the edges. Carmen was much more sophisticated and gracious. I don't think I'm gracious. I'm very basic. Um, and, you know, and she would get a bit cross with me for, you know, not dressing up or, you know, not being a little bit more behaving like a lady, perhaps. Um, she was more traditional and whatever. And, you know, we, we were, we were different. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very sort of open, uh, open like a book, really. Most people sort of think they know me, even if they don't. Um, Whereas Carmen would have shelter around her. You know, that was just a difference in the personalities. But I absolutely adored her children, and I still do. And she adored mine. And so, you know, I'm basically happy to say that I've got them in my life, and they've been marvelous to me, so I'm very lucky like that. I also lost my very big brother, who died only a year before Carmen, and I was very close to him. His name was Bob Duncan, and that was pretty tragic. And then I've only got one brother left, Warren. And so there's only the two of us left in our family now. And um, But we came from marvellous stock. I mean, our parents were so in love, it was crazy. Mm. They loved each other so much. You know, they, they came from nothing. Country people from absolutely nothing, couldn't afford a wedding and ended up buying pubs. So my life was different. We were all sent to boarding school, we were all treated the same way. Um, much to my resentment, because I didn't understand why I'd have to go to boarding school when I was living in Sydney, but they sent me off. And um, it was just the way they, they did it. So, yeah, darling. So, they, they, you know, that, that was my, my life. But I think the foundation of the essence of our closeness or, if you like, the emotion that's deep-seated in me um, and my family it was the love of my parents, and I don't know if anyone saw Who Do You Think You Are, but that was brought mm. out. 
in mm. that episode. Yeah. The gold rush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, we've got to ask you about spray and wipe because I'm sure <laughs> I know, I'm sure gorgeous? I'm sure as many people stop you in the supermarket <laughs> these days to mention that as they do Danny Francis. <laughs> they do. I'm just pissed off they haven't brought it back. <laughs> I actually wanted them to I wanted them to bring it back through COVID. Um yes. I said this yes. is crazy, you know, we can get everyone doing, you know, commercials at home. Cleaning everything and whatever, but I couldn't get around or I couldn't reach the right people and everything. And then someone said to me, "They don't need to advertise." It was such a very successful advertising campaign. Mm. It was amazingly successful. I mean, I did nine of them, <laughs> and it told my story. You know, <laughs> I mean, and and it was crazy. And and now I seem to be famous for super sleeper and going to bed every night in my butcher and. People say to me, I wake up in the morning with you and go to sleep with you every night. And I'm going, oh, right, okay. But um, it, it's really funny, you know. Um, but that commercial campaign was sensational. Um, it was unique in its style. I think that, you know, I, no, I'll forget. I remember when I got my Order of Australia, which is probably my greatest success for my contribution to the community and the arts. And I remember Mario Vacher, who was presented me with the medal, said to me, Look, I think this is marvellous that you've done all this wonderful work for the community and the arts and you've done all this work. But look, I have to tell you my favourite of all is brain wipes. <laughs> <laughs> services to cleaning. <laughs> I thought that was just so funny. Uh, so you yes. guys can campaign and get the brain wipe back up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just saying before we started talking to you that we've both got it. It's it stuck in heads. my head. It's, uh, yeah. I can't get the jingle out of my head. No. No, you'll never get it out of your head. And and the image of you with the with the bottle in one hand and sort of the oh, on the couch in the other. I know, I know, classic. classic. It, it is yeah, absolute classic. Hey, speaking of that, if you were having a dinner party, uh, Paul, who would you who would you invite? Who'd, who'd make it onto your list of special people to be at a dinner party? Well, I'd, I'd have to tell you, I'd have my parents back tomorrow. Yeah, I'd have my brother and sister back. They'd be the ones I'd have at my dinner party. Mm. Yeah. My family. Yeah. And I'd have my daughter back from the United States <laughs> with her husband and I'd have my stepson beside me and I'd probably ask John Orchick as a special guest. <laughs> there you go. You don't need much more than that. But I do have to say I had the most forbidden crush on Hugh Grant. Oh, really? And the other person I've got a massive crush on is Keith Urban oh. and I don't know why. I don't know why. I've never worked it out, <laughs> but I just adore him. So, and and it's all right. I know Nicole Kidman, and she knows I'm no threat. Yeah. But the, the reality is that you know, if I was going to have a crush on someone and have someone so I could swoon over and serve oysters for dinner as aphrodisiac, <laughs> it would be one of them. Sometimes these things have no explanation, do they? They just are what they are. <laughs> Yes, I don't understand it. I couldn't speak, you know. I, I, I couldn't speak. I wouldn't speak. I couldn't, couldn't speak. Um, Paula, just to, to finish up, we usually ask our guests, uh, and you're a very good person to ask for this, if they have a uh, kitchen or a cooking tip to share. Clean up as you go. Yeah. With spray and wipe. <laughs> yes, with spray and wipe. <laughs> but but, 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 but I, I really do. And I think you start your kitchen clean. I'm a strange kitchen person. I don't want help. Oh, okay. Now, I like people. If people say at the end of it, let me clean up for you, it takes a while for me to say yes, but, yeah, I might say yes every now and again. (laughs) 
and I might let them in. But I find that's where accidents happen, when a whole lot of people get in the kitchen and people don't know where anything is. So while you're busy boiling your pot up and it's hot as, and you're moving whatever it is from the stove (laughs) to drain it into the sink or whatever you're doing, someone's behind you saying, where do you want this? Where do you want this? I don't know where so-and-so is. You turn to do that before you know it, you burn yourself. The amount of accidents that happen in the kitchen are amazing. And it usually happens because there are too many people in the kitchen at the same time. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Exactly. Uh Exactly. I think also plan. Because if you want to enjoy it, enjoy it. Mm. If it becomes a chore, then there's no point doing it. I mean, I've got friends that don't like cooking. So I say, don't worry about it. Come over here. I'm happy to do it. I don't care less. (laughs) But, But I don't want someone cooking for me that doesn't like cooking. Because you can feel the stress. But if you want to learn to enjoy it, then you take the time to discover it, to look at what you want, the feel you want, and take your time. And and I, and on the night, if you're organised, it's not stressful. It's only stressful that everyone arrives and you've done nothing till the last minute. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it stressful. That's what spray and wipes all about, the cleaning, <laughs> what made it stressful, you see, but see. We used to do it all at the last minute and do it very fast and have it done. And by the time the guests arrived, it was all cleaned up. (laughs) That's the way it goes. Uh, Paula, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been an absolute delight to catch up with you and hope uh, hope your throat gets better soon. Thank you. Thank you so much and it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you for thinking of me. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Thank you. Spray and wipe. All right, now that telephone number is 0410 So if you're around the Sydney area on the 26th of November and you want to have a good hey. lunch, head to that. Or if you'd like to help out uh, that cause, uh, you certainly can just by giving that number a call, 0410 And thanks to Paula for being on the show. Thank you so much, Paula. We thoroughly enjoyed that. With a crook throat too. Yeah, yeah. She is the consummate trooper, isn't she? Absolutely. Now, here we go. The gloves are off, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Let's get ready to rumble. The food poll. Yes, it is a heavy weight. In the red corner. No, that's enough, thank you. Uh, It is a heavy weight encounter between (laughs) the sausage and the hot dog. I guess we mean having them both in bread. I don't know. Uh, Silvana starts us off. I love both. You can't beat a bunning sausage with onions and sauce. Sue says a snag in bread is the winner for me. Cherie Dodson, sausage, although I did enjoy hot dog o'clock when I was in New York. Every day we would stop by a stall on the street corner and grab a hot dog. Terry says a good butcher's sausage on fresh bread is a big tick for me. Can't resist the smell going into yeah. Bunnings. Don't mind a good hot dog either with sauce and mustard. <laughs> Rebecca says both and vegan, of course. You and Jay says proper German bratwurst sausages Ew. in a fresh hot dog bun. Sauerkraut. Are you going to say this in a German accent? I, no, I was. I was thinking about it. I then Americanise it with American mustard and ketchup on top. Best served with a cold beer to wash it down. I know you studied German A lot of thought going into that. (laughs) Lee Harrison says, German sausage with mustard. Oh, yum. Sarah says, I love a good veggie dog with onions and KFC coleslaw on a bread roll. No butter, please. Butter is yuck. Yeah, you don't put butter on a 
Just put KFC, Coles Law, you just put all that stuff yeah. and you go, oh, no, no butter, butter. plain. No Sue Hosking says, I like both, but a good butcher's snag with onion and tomato sauce or relish cannot be beaten. Carly says a veggie hot dog uh, and the bun, which is pictured in the uh, mm. food poll picture, so the, the bun just makes yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, the bun is half the fun. Yeah. Arthur Stephen says sausage, good quality Cumberland sausage. Taylor Ann says, nothing like a good snag. Where? Forget this hot dog crap. Yeah. Millions of Bunnings customers can't be wrong. Well, that's fair enough. I'll go with that. Bart Shaw says, you cannot put these uh, next to each other, up against each other. It's like saying lions and tigers are the same. Good point, Bart. Good logic. <laughs> uh, Leone says, most definitely to both. Yeah. Must have the mustard on a hot dog with lashings of sauce. And for the sausage, can't beat that on fresh bread with onions, then barbecue or oh. tomato sauce with mustard on the top. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yummy. Uh, Glenn Rodder says, once again, Paddo, I have to flip a coin, so hang on a mo while I flip. Heads, a hot dog, tails, a snag. The answer is mm, hot dog. There you go. Karen says, snag and bread, but has to be good quality butcher's yes. sausages and my homemade tomato sauce. Try finding one. <laughs> Rachel says, uh, both at different times. Kate says, definitely sausage in bread. Eddie says, a dead heat. Darren Hinch joined us and said, Shame, shame. No, he didn't. No. He said sausage, sausage. He said sausage because it's booze blotting oh. paper back in the day. <laughs> True. Would okay. have been. Back in the day. Dear. Brad Spicer, snag, hands down. But the hot dog outside the tunnel with cheese at 3 a.m. was divine. The tunnel being a nightclub, <laughs> as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. Uh, Jimmy Wilson says, look, please, no <laughs> competition here. Bunnings wins, hands down. It's the snag. Well, Stephen Quartermain would disagree because he says hot dog on the street. Streets of New York. Danny McGinley, the comedian, says a sausage properly cooked so it's still moist, moist. inside. Moist. <laughs> a lot of people hate that word. Uh, Brendan, <laughs> make mine moist. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Brendan says, I'm a 50 50. A hot dog at the footy on Saturday Arvo, a sausage at Bunno's on Sunday morning. Nice idea. Yeah. Uh, Candice White says, I nearly died after oh. eating a hot dog in London, so never, ever, ever again. So a sausage in bread with sauce, it has to be. Goodness me, that's fairly dramatic. Now we're, we're about to enter the gourmet we... section of the food pile. Oh, here we go. Old croaky. Yes, the gourmet section we're opening up He now. says, a sausage sanger for me, plump, juicy and oozing the un identifiable oil. Oh, the Australian hot dog as pictured is a poor imitation of its US cousin. Thick-skinned and grisly. Yuck. Oh, and Jane Barnes says, I do love both, but a hot dog with cooked onions, melted cheese, mustard and tomato sauce might just... Win this one. Doing a Homer Simpson. <laughs> I used to have them regularly oh, from the Bear in Neutral Bay. It's better than Pink's on La Brea, LA, dare I say. There you go. Yo. Uh, and uh, Bad and, uh, what is it? Uh, Basta Danico. Basta Danico says sausage with HP oh. brown sauce. Oh, that's a delicacy. I was wondering when the HP sauce would make an appearance. Delicacy, that, plus yeah. hot English mustard, so that's a good one. Ah. Now, Wayne writes, the humble banger wins here in yeah. a canter, oh. probably because it doesn't contain anything that can canter <laughs> if you get my drift. A hot dog is just a pasty and pale phallus of oh. meatless misery. Oh. <laughs> That's one of his better ones. Like that's, that, that's, that's a beauty. Uh, a hot dog can be a guilty pleasure, but in all honesty, they concern me. That yeah. weird uh, homogenous filling that has absolutely no texture 
and you just know that it comes from sources that a back alley Wuhan restaurant oh, will pass on yeah. at a shopping mall. Yeah. Now, it has to be skinless too. Yes. Oh, Kevin. Yes, 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 yes. He's speaking yes. your language. The ones with that weird red casing yeah. made out of God knows what are very unsettling. Yeah. I know there are various farm animal unmentionables in there somewhere. Yeah. A proper snag has a succulent, coarse, meaty filling that is a joy to eat. Plus, it is only limited by your imagination as to what it can contain. Yes. Proof that it is a deserving and unrivaled winner is the Bunnings, Bunnings sausage. sausage. You don't get a Bunnings hot dog, do you? Eh? Eh? And if you <laughs> did, I'd be off to Mitre 10 in a heartbeat. Yeah. We had just the other day, my mother and I had chicken and thyme sausages for dinner. We served them with asparagus. It was very enjoyable. I'm interested, though, and please, someone tell me. I'm about to. <laughs> the, facts on, the facts on this. Do Americans have sausages per se? Because I notice they seem to put hot dogs on barbecues or stick uh, stick them on prongs in front of the fire. I don't think I've ever seen a sausage, as we know it, on uh, US television. It's a really good point. I can't answer you 100% certainty. I think they do. Do they? But I'm not sure. It's more an English thing. I think, mm, I think is, so. Than is uh, an American thing, mm. uh, and I must admit the street hot dogs in America are good. Oh yeah, they're actually fully really loaded. Good. I yeah. don't, I don't know, and never will, and don't want to know what's in them, yeah. but they taste good. But I think the street hot dogs in America. I mean, half of that is about the experience, isn't it? Uh, but it's also the bun. The buns yeah. are really good little buns. Whereas we have those buns that are like sugar, and they they dissolve on your tongue. Yes, I don't like them at all. Mm. They're very ordinary. And when we have street hot dogs, geez, we're I think you should file a strong worded letter of complaint I to whoever's so. in charge. No sugary buns for me, thank you very much. No, <laughs> Your buns are just fine. No self-dissolving <laughs> buns for me, thanks very much. Hey, that's our program for another week. Thank you for uh, joining. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being yeah. on the show, Paula Duncan. We have some uh, terrific guests coming up uh, mm. in uh, in the coming week. Not that we haven't had great ones before, but don't forget to check out the uh, podcast Emporium uh, to uh, see what else is there that you might like to have a look at and browse over and listen yep. and to. And we're also on the Ace Radio Network on yes, a Sunday morning. most certainly are. Have a lovely week till next week. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.